Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community. If this is your first Sunday with us, you're so, so welcome. Um, and if you have never, we have never met before, my name is Laura. I've been on maternity leave for the last year. Um, so it is really, really nice to be back in the seat of working and being a mum. I am the tiredest I've ever been in my life. I kid you not. But, you know, there's goodness in the madness, isn't there? Maybe. I'm just kidding. It is really, really lovely to be back. And I wanted just to take a moment to say thank you, to say thank you to our leadership team and to our board who gifted me with the time off of a whole year to learn what it means to become a mum and to to spend time with Ezra in his first year of life. And I want to say thank you to all of you for all of your gifts, for all of your messages of encouragement and for just loving our family through this season of life. So thank you so much um, for being there. Um, Today, in this really, really short space of time, um, I'm going to be following along in our summer series. Um, And the the, the headline is, what does it mean to hold a culture of honor in a world of contempt? Now, I know it's 10 past 12 on a Sunday morning, and you're like, it's the weekend, but we're going there, guys. We're going deep. We're going to talk about what does it mean to hold a culture of honor in a world of contempt. So if you're not awake, be awake. (laughs) Just kidding. Our series is following along of what does it mean to have um, that this must be stronger than that, and honor must be stronger than contempt, and that's kind of where we're going with this. As we approach the 10-year anniversary of our church this October, I have been asking myself some questions. I'm just going to pause two seconds. Mikey, does this sound okay? Yeah, sorry, having a wee panic there. I've been asking myself um, a couple of questions as I plan like some really fun things that are happening in our, com- in our community. But the two questions that I've been asking myself are, what kind of community do I want to be a part of? And how am I participating in that vision? So that's the question I want to ask you this morning. What kind of community do you want to be a part of? This community is not dictated by certain people. It is a family of people where we come together and we ask God, what are you doing and how can we partake in that? I have been planning some really fun things for that. And on the 7th, 8th and 9th of October this year, we are going to gather together for a community celebration um, just to give space to celebrate um, off the back of what Dana was saying last week, to join together just to celebrate all that God has done and to give him space to speak to us about what he wants to do in this next season. So we'd love for you to um, mark that out in your diary. Please do come along to that. If you can come along to parts of it or all of it, we would love for you to be there. And we have some really, really exciting things coming um, for you to join in with that. So I look forward to being able to tell you more about that. But my hope is that our community is many things, but one of the things where I would love for it for it to be is found in Romans verse 12, and it says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Imagine if Lagan Valley Vineyard was known as a church where people said, do you know that church, they love each other with a genuine affection and they take delight in honoring each other. A community that recognizes the inherent value of every single person who comes to that door, that calls out value, that encourages their gifts, and one that supports and a community that loves. 
We are going to just take a couple of minutes to read our teaching text today. It's very, very short. If you want to look it up, it is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 to 27. I'm in the, in the blue Bibles this morning, so if you have a blue Bible, it is found on 1154. And whoever gets to it first in the black Bible, you can shout it out. I wish I could say I have a chocolate bar for you, but I don't. <laughs> so if you find it, please do call it out there. Turns out it's quite hard to find. <laughs> so first Corinthians twelve, verse twenty five to twenty seven said so let so that well, can't read. <laughs> so that there should be no division in the body, but it has parts that have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. In the version that I have here in my notes, it says, all of them will take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Let's pray together as we uh, just open the scriptures. Holy Spirit, we uh, welcome you here in this moment. And Father, we invite you into our hearts and our minds. And Jesus, we just, we just lay down um, all the busyness of the week, all the stuff that's going on in our mind. And we ask that you would come and that you would um, awaken us, that you would refresh in our hearts, that you would come and that you would speak. And we give you the place to, to do that. Father, we just pray that as a community of friends here, as we join together, that we would learn what it means to love and honor one another. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. One of my favorite things to do whenever I feel a little bit down, I don't know what you do whenever you feel down, maybe you go to the gym, maybe you go for a walk, maybe you text a friend, maybe you go for a glass of wine with a friend. I watch old Britain's Got Talent editions. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Sometimes X Factor, but Britain's Got Talent is way more entertaining for me. But just the really, really old ones and some of the really, really bad ones, I kind of love when people are really terrible and they're like, but my mom told me I was amazing. And you're like, you're not, you're not amazing. You have other gifts, go find what they are. But actually, one of, my, one of the things that I love the most is when someone comes out on stage and they are unexpectedly amazing. Like They just blow everyone away. I don't know if you remember the icon, the one, the only, the legend that is Susan Boyle. If you do not know who Susan Boyle is, you need to go look her up. And you need to go and watch her first edition to Britain's Got Talent. If you have not seen it, even if you have, I'm going to paint you a picture of her audition this morning. I'm not just saying this for this talk. Like, sometimes whenever I'm sad, Pete will make me a cup of tea and he'll turn it on. Like, I'm not even joking. I am that much of a child. That he will turn it on. It just really, really fills me with this sense of joy. Um, but this, this lady who looks way older than what she actually is, she walks out on stage. She's wearing this kind of old yellow, old-fashioned dress. Her hair's really frizzy. And she's got this really, really quirky vibe happening. And you know the sticker that they all get where they, like, they stick on their number to tell you what part, like, when their next bit is? She has her stuck to her skin on her chest. <laughs> like, there are just so many things happening here. So she walks out, you know, and you can, like, visibly see everyone in the crowd just laughing at her. 
And everyone's kind of like nudging, being like, have you seen this? This is ridiculous. And she starts talking, and it kind of then gets worse, and everyone's like, oh my goodness. This woman's like, what is happening here? And it spans around the room, and it, like, you, the camera spans around the room, and it falls on this girl, and she nudges her friend, and she rolls her eyes, being like, this is ridiculous. This woman is such a loser. What's she doing here? And she starts talking, and then Simon Carl asks her some questions. He's like, you know, like, what are you doing here? What's the dream? What's the vision? She's like, I wanna, I'm here because I want to be a professional singer. And everyone's like, very good. And she said, I want to be as big as Elaine Page. And they're like, right, okay, no problem. And everyone in the room just giggles at this, um, what looks like this talentless person standing in front of them. And by all standards of modern culture, to be fair, Susan is not what we picture. Yes, Susan, we're on first name basis. We're very good friends. She is not what we think of when we think of fame. We think of Beyonce or Harry Styles, although arguably they were very similar clothes now. Then, and she is not what we think of. We have a bit of a late laugh there. <laughs> If you don't know who Harry Styles is, I don't know where you live because he is the best, but he wears some funny clothes. And kind of laughingly, everyone gives Susan her moment to sing. And everyone in the room is like, this is going to be the best because she's going to be terrible. And then she starts singing and the whole room is like, oh my goodness, she is amazing. Like everyone is just taken back by how good she is. And she's singing, she's singing. She's like, I dreamed a dream of time gone by. I dreamed a dream that love would never die. And they're the words that she sings. And she stops singing. One of my favorite moments, right? She stops singing. The whole room is like standing, applauding her, thinking she's amazing. Susan just stops and just walks off. <laughs> she's like, guys, I'm finished. <laughs> Mic drop. And, you know, it, it was just amazing what happened. Everyone in the room discounted her. Everyone did. And frequently, we discount people all the time. We discount people based on our initial judgments and the way that they look or how they speak or how they conduct themselves. And we automatically think that we know who they are. We make these interactions with people all the time, passing a comment, a quick chat about a colleague with another colleague, a call to a family member saying, did you hear what such and such said? Or, you know, just all these little interactions that we have every day. Honestly, if you've never watched this edition, go and watch it. There is this beautiful moment at the end when Piers Morgan and Amanda Holden, where they hold up their hands and they say, what a wake-up call. We totally discounted you, but actually this was stunning. I think Piers Morgan said it was his favorite edition ever. I get it, also mine. You see, something happens when we give people time to offer their gift and we give them the space to say, who are you? We'd love to receive it. So let's dig a, dig a little deeper here. I'm not actually here to talk to you about Britain's Got Talent all morning, although I could give you a pretty good run by, run by about the best ones and the worst ones, but not. But what does contempt and honor have to do with this? Contempt is the feeling that someone is beneath your consideration, that the person or thing that is in front of you is totally worthless, that you don't even want to think about it. It, it can be disregarded completely from your mind. It's similar to anger and not the same because anger serves as this really important emotion. Anger serves, although it's really negative, it serves as an important emotion, emotion to resolve whatever it is that is happening. So if you've had an argument with a friend or your partner, you don't actually have contempt for them, you have anger. You want, you want them to see your point of view, to see your perspective, and the anger hits whenever you don't see theirs and they don't see yours, and it, the anger hits and then you have this big explosive argument or you just have a discussion that's angry in whatever way you're inclined to, to be. 
But anger serves as a really important emotion because it serves to be resolved. Usually anger is that I want you to see my point of view. Anger says this is worth fixing, let's have it out. But contempt says this is so beneath me, I'm not even going to enter into it. Your opinion doesn't matter to me at all. I actually do not want to take time to understand. I'm just going to walk the opposite direction. Arthur Brooks says that contempt is a toxic formula of anger and disgust mixed together to make this really erosive kind of behavior and thought process. Contempt devalues other people. Contempt causes us to dismiss people, to dismiss who they are, and at times can make us dismiss entire groups of people or segments of society. And in Northern Ireland, we are never too far from contempt. We disregard groups of people all the time, whether that's over political views, over religion, maybe even church politics, or maybe even church denominations. We have this all the time. Mostly for me, it's because I am the world's best driver and everybody else is a terrible driver. <laughs> Just kidding. We need to learn how to hold disagreement without holding contempt for people and their opinions. And it slips so easily into our hearts. It's not until something stops you and you think, gosh, I have actually just completely disregarded that person or their opinion without realizing. Followers of Jesus are not able to walk in the fullness of joy when we harbor hate or contempt in our hearts. We live in a world of dishonor and contempt. That just seems like really grandiose language for the kind of things that we see all the time. Whenever you think of the kind of news that we watch, we see videos and news every day of contemptuous and unloving behavior. Did you know that 90% of the news that you watch every day is negative? Stories of evil, stories of war, stories of just, just complete madness that descends upon the earth. There was a website called The City Reporter, who were like a news website, and they decided only to publish positive stories for 24 hours, just to see what the effect of what it would be on people. Would people be a little bit happier? Would there be better, more like inclusive comments and all that kind of stuff? They lost 66% of their readers in 24 hours because the news was positive. We have a disposition towards bad news. We consume so much of the world's evil that we are hardwired over years and years and years of stories and the news and of looking at it on our phone, of scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, that we are not shocked by humanity's utter contempt towards one another. It just doesn't shock us anymore. When you hear that, you just think, it's just another story. Turn your phone off, go about your day. A few weeks ago, two seconds. What happened a few weeks ago? <laughs> a few weeks ago, I was walking down the main street of Lisbon, and there was a man, before I tell you this story, I think evangelism is amazing. I think there is a place for it in every community and every church. So I am not bashing what this guy was doing, just to be respectful. But there was a man out giving his testimony, and, but I want to see it from this other person's point of view. This is all gonna make sense in a wee second. And he was, like shouting really loud, the, the mic was really loud, he was talking about hell, but he was also talking about how God saved him. And I think if you were a part of the church, you were like, oh, that's amazing, he's given his testimony and God has changed his life, that's incredible. And this man was giving out tracks. And there was another guy just walking along, just like walking about his day, and he turned around and he went, oh, would you ever shut up? If you weren't awake then, you're awake now. And he said a lot of other swear words in this. 
And I like I, I only shouted that because that is actually what happened. Like it was really loud. It was really cutting. And I, I was actually really taken back. And like other people kind of looked up a wee bit, but everyone just went on about their day. Like, I suppose what was I going to do either? But I think it really, it just really jarred me as to what happened there. And neither of the two of them ever engage, engaged in a conversation. It was just shouting. I felt really, really bad for the guy. I just really felt for the guy who screamed. I just thought, gosh, you're really hurt. The church has done something on you, and you are hurt. We need so much healing, and people in our land need so much healing. The toxic power of contempt lies in its devaluation of others. A standard is imposed, and those who fail to meet that standard, be it moral, ethical, social, or related to competence, we devalue them based on their failure to comply with our normality. We devalue them based on their failure to comply with our normality. And if the world's operating system is one of contempt, disregard for other people's views, opinions, or feelings in any way, shape, or form, then we as a church are called to live by a different operating system, the system of heaven. We are called to be countercultural. And if heaven's culture is one of honor, then we must live by that. But what do I mean? That's a very nice statement, but what does that actually mean in our everyday lives? If the world says you are beneath consideration, the culture of heaven says that you are considered. You as a person are considered in God's family. God considers you, he cares about you, he loves you, he values you. I wonder how many people would just, that, that, that even just the sense that someone cared about them, how much that would change their life. If contempt seeks to devalue people or render them something that is meaningless, honor means to have the highest respect and the greatest esteem for that person. And what if this was how our church communities operated? Yet a lot of the time here in Northern Ireland anyway, the churches where a lot of people find contempt. Well, you don't want to live by my set of values. Sorry, can't be here. A lot of the people come to church and they find contempt where they've been devalued or they've been hurt. And I know, I know that that is a lot of people's stories. But we have the opportunity as followers of Christ to be a different kind of community for people. In an ideal world, I know that that is possible. Look, I understand that church is messy. I have positioned my, to, for it to be in my life as a full-time profession for the last 12 years, and I know that's not a really long time, but what I'm saying is I know that community is hard. It's so hard. It takes work both collectively and individually. And sometimes maybe you're going through something or something's annoyed you and you come in here and it's just amplified and you're just like, I'm just left annoyed. But I think the really beautiful thing is that Jesus never leaves us there. Never leaves us there. So how can we choose this operating system? Dana said something last week at the 9.30 service and it stayed with me all week. And this isn't word for word, but the kind of essence of what she said was, it is only on this side of eternity do you get the choice. And it really, really cut me. When we get to heaven, we will live in perfect unity. It'll be amazing. You will automatically know how to glorify, how to be there, how to worship, be nothing distracting you. You will just be in perfect unity. 
But it is only on this side of eternity that you get the choice. The choice to worship when it hurts. The choice to love when everything tells you not to. The choice to show up. The choice to be forgiving. The choice to be generous. And the choice to honor and encourage people in a world that says you're not worth valuing. So I wanna ask that question again. What kind of community do we wanna be walking into this next 10, 20 years of community? And what is God asking of you and how are you gonna participate in that? In Revelation 4, verse eight to 11, it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. Then again in chapter five, it says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice, they were all singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. There will come a time when every living thing and every part of us will automatically honor God, his glory and his majesty. We are designed to honor him, to glorify him. God's glory exists whether we choose to honor it or not. His glory is just, it's just there. It's just nothing of what we can say or do can make it even greater than what it already is. However, we have the choice to honor his glory, to align ourselves with what he is saying and to say, God, I choose to do what you do. And we see this all throughout scripture, especially in the gospels, where Jesus honored the person that no one thought was worth honoring. He ate with the tax collectors. Literally everybody hated these guys. But what does Jesus do? He goes to their home, he gathers around their table. And he said, you know what? Everyone says that you're the worst. Everyone says you're annoying, that you take their money. But you know what? I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna have dinner with you. You're gonna be known as someone who takes money, who is greedy and who's unkind. But see me, I operate out of the kingdom of heaven and I see you as generous and I see you as kind. See, the world taught the tax collectors that they were going to be contemptuous. They taught them how to live. But Jesus came and he said, but I have another way for you to live. I want you to live like this. And then the woman at the well, she goes to the well at noon at the hottest point of the day. So no one will be there and no one can shame her. She was a woman who was, she, and Jesus actually said to her, you don't only have five or you don't even have one husband, you have five. And maybe she thought, oh, here we go again. But actually it was Jesus. And he said, look, I know that you've come at this time of the day so that you won't be shamed and you won't be berated with judgmental comments or looks or shame. And you have been taught that you are worthless and that you are shameful and so you treat your body like so. But Jesus came and he said, I want you to know that you are beloved, that you are valued, that you are a part of the family of heaven and you do not need to walk like that. You do not need to live this way. You get to walk in the way of the kingdom. 
See, Jesus went to the people who everybody thought were the outcast. And I think their frustration at the time was they had thought like this Messiah was coming, like it was gonna be this great Messiah, this King, you know, it was gonna be amazing. And we know the scripture in past tense. So like we knew, like we weren't gonna be the people who were like, oh, I'm gonna disregard Jesus. But they actually just, they were waiting on a king. They were waiting on royalty. And Jesus didn't act like that. He actually went and he spent time with people who nobody wanted to spend time with. He went to the poor, the unclean, the lepers and women and he sat with them and he talked to them and he was with them. He looked like an ordinary man. He didn't act like the kings at the time. He didn't act like royalty. But he said, I want people to come and be around me. I want to have dinner with them. I want to sit with them. And they were healed by him. You see, Jesus didn't come and just say, look, I know you're like this. Just don't be it. He actually taught them a way of life. He said, I know that the world has taught you that you are one thing, but I'm going to teach you that you are another. I am actually going to call forth your value and your dignity, and I'm going to help you walk in that way. See, what Jesus did, what we see in Revelation, is that we get to picture the kingdom coming where we will honor Jesus or we will honor God and it will be amazing. But actually what Jesus did in that time is that he said, I'm gonna come to heaven and I'm gonna show you what love looks like right now because I wanna bring the future into the present. I don't want you just to look forward to that time. I actually want you to live into that time right now. I want you to have the goodness of heaven right now. I want you to see glimpses of healing and of heaven and of goodness right now. You see, the world had disordered how we value and honor people. And I think in essence, it still really, really does. And he said, let me show you another way. Let me show you the culture of heaven. Jesus aligns us to the Father and modeled a way of living. Jesus came that we might begin to understand what it means to have heaven here on earth. These people who were shown contempt at every side of society that they live in, that they are beneath consideration, Jesus said, you are my treasured possession. You're considered and I love you. And not only will I just pass you on the street, I'll come and I'll sit in your house with you. I'll have dinner with you. I've considered who you are and I think that you're wonderful. I know that you made mistakes, but I'm not gonna leave you there. I know that you've chosen this way of life, but I want you to come and walk in this way of life. Honoring people calls forth their dignity and their value. I think there's two ways in which that we can practice a culture of honor. One is practicing risk. John Paul Lederick, a theologian and practitioner of peacemaking, talks about one of the key ingredients to building any kind of peace. And he's, he's gone all over the world to help people build bridges between, between peace. He was here and in the 90s and, and he was a part of that. He has gone all over the world. It's a really, really fascinating book. But one of the key ingredients that he says at the end that in order to progress, progress and be a part of a, an environment of transformation and change is that there needs to be the, the mystery of risk. There has to be some kind of risk. It requires a journey. Risk means that you step forward into the unknown and you do not know what's going to happen after it. And by definition, risk accepts vulnerability and lets go of the need to control the process or the outcome. 
And the commitment to your relationship always entails risk. Whether that's your relationship with the people in this room or this community, whether that is your relationship with Jesus, there is a step into the unknown where you say, come and be a part of it. I am going to risk and move forward. Like even whenever you think of tribes, right? You might be like, I feel a bit nervous about going to tribe. You know, I'm going to sit around someone's table. What if I sit beside someone that like, I don't really get along with? And what if I go and I'm the first person there? And what if I get there and I was meant to bring something? I didn't bring something. And then you just get into the spiral of like, I'm just not going to go. Do you know what? I'll just not go. Or maybe you think, oh, maybe they already have enough people at their table. And I don't, I don't think that they need me there. And, and so I'm just not going to go because other people can benefit from that. Now, I'll let them go. Don't think like that. Like whenever you fail to show up, we don't get the value of who you are as a person. We miss out on you. These spaces around people's table are saying, we want you to be considered, come and join it. And you know what? Sometimes it's really awkward. You know what? Sometimes we disagree. Oh, you think that? I think that. Cool, let's have dinner anyway. You know, and we have to, there has to be some kind of risk into the unknown. And it is there where you actually then you build a relationship and you think, actually, my life's better because I'm a part of it. My life's better because they are in it, because I took the risk. Does the band want to come on up? You know, and maybe, maybe for you, you have grown. I don't know whether or not COVID did this, but whether we were just all in our little pods of isolation. And I think maybe for the first like one or two months, you know, everyone really missed everyone. So it was really easy to honor them. Like, oh, we really miss them because I can't see them. And then we started opening up again. You're like, actually, I don't really know if I can be bothered. People are actually kind of annoying. And I have my own little bubble over here. It's really nice. And I know how it all works and stuff I can say and stuff I can't say, blah, blah, blah. And, and then we, we come out of it and you're like, actually, everyone's really annoying. You know? Maybe you've grown tired of letting people in. Okay, maybe you have been hurt one or too many, one too many times, and the things that people say, they really hurt you. I'm a very sensitive person, very sensitive person. I know I come across as if I'm very confident. <laughs> I am wonderful, absolutely. <laughs> no, but I'm a very, very sensitive person, and things that people say, like I think about them. And so regularly I have to go to Jesus and be like, God, someone said something today, I don't really know that it's me or maybe not even every day, let's be honest, every month, okay, let's make it more realistic. And I go to him and I'm like, God, they said something and I just, is that true of me and is it not true of me? Help me do the work. And so he's like, well, I don't think that's you. Okay, you're not selfish. You're not that. But let's maybe work out how you did that. And then I sit in front of him and he tells me what I am. And I think we often don't do that because we're like, that's really selfish. You know, why would God tell me what he likes about me? God likes a lot of things about you. A lot of things. If I had the time, I would sit and I would tell you all the things I like about so many of you. I think in our culture, we are just so, so easily just drawn to like pick out all the bad things about people. And you know what? I have been there. I have been there. We live in a world where 90% of the things that you see every day are negative. So you live into that. And then something happens. You're like, oh gosh, that was really negative. In order for us to be a community that honors and has room for all kinds of people, we need to start to do the work in our own hearts and our homes and this community so it can be open to people with all different types of experiences, all different types of backgrounds. And there's a real beauty in that. 
we can't just like disregard people because they think something slightly different. The second thing that I, I want to draw our attention to is the thing that binds it all together and the thing that Paul talked about in the scriptures was so where they are in the, in the context of Corinth was Paul had gone to Corinth, he had evangelized and people had come to know Jesus and then he gets rumblings that everyone had fallen out about literally every topic that there ever was. So he writes a letter and he writes all the different sections about different things. So there's division, there's people who only like listening to certain leaders. Anyone in this room? I only come to church whenever such and such is speaking. I only come to church whenever they're leading worship. Oh, they're leading worship this morning. I wish somebody else was. There were divisions in the church. There was divisions around sexual relationships. There was divisions about how they should do com communion. There was divisions. There was divisions about everything. Everything you could possibly think of, they were falling out over. Okay? And then he comes to this point and he says, you know, each of you has a wonderful gift. Each of you does. Each of you is considered to be part of this family. And he said, what binds you all together is the work of the Spirit. What binds you all together, what your common thread is, is the work of the Spirit. You might sit around a table in a tribe. I don't know why I keep going back to tribes, but here we are. You might be sitting on a table around a tribe, and I've been here before, where someone is talking about something theologically, and someone says, I really disagree with that. Cool, let's talk about our disagreements. But we do not need to fall out, because what binds you together is the work of the Spirit. If you feel like you've had an evening and it's been a wee bit tense, you know what brings you all together? The work of the Spirit, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you know, how awful would it be if we didn't have these wake-up calls regularly? <laughs> we are not perfect. On this side of heaven, we are not perfect. And you have to have these like wake-up calls regularly. And a couple of weeks ago, actually, we need to be a community that is willing to forgive one another. A couple of weeks ago, um, a friend came to me and she said, Laura, can I speak to you? It was after Emma Harris spoke so beautifully about forgiveness. And she said, um, you said something to me a couple of years ago and it really hurt my feelings. Oh, I was shattered. I just thought this, oh, I've really hurt this person. I'm a good friend, like we're good friends. Um, and she said, I, I think I've held on to it for too long and I would just really like the space to talk about it. And I had the space to be like, look, I'm really sorry. I said something out of turn. And it was just a joke. I don't even remember saying it. She said it was just a joke, but it, it clung to me and it hurt. It's impossible to think that we are not going to say things that is not kind or, or not good. But you need to have the opportunity to say, look, you've said that. I'd like you to apologize. And for you to say, I'm really sorry. And you know what? I'm not a bad person. I said something out of turn and I apologize because we are broken people and we all get the point to, to say sorry and to move on in forgiveness, to work in with the Holy Spirit. That's what binds us together. And all of them will take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Imagine a community that operated out of this kind of love and affection. No one disregarded, everyone thought of, everyone considered. And I know that that is like utopia. Like, I know that. But we have to do the work to work towards it. Too often we can be apathetic and unsympathetic to people who are suffering. Maybe you think, they've been going through that for ages. I've been sympathetic for ages. Keep being, keep being sympathetic. Suffer with those who suffer. 
rejoice with those who have joy. And sometimes we think they've got a lot of joy in their life. Maybe I would like some joy. I'm a bit jealous of their joy. I'd like some. Just rejoice in their joy. Your time will come when you too will be joyful. And Paul here was employing to the the church of Corinth, you need to learn to see one another as Jesus sees you. Your contempt is causing disunity. To find commonality, and our commonality is the work of the Holy Spirit that binds us all together. As we come into a time of ministry, I am... I'd love for you to let Jesus just come and rest in your heart and ask him, what is the work that you need to do? What is the work that he's asking you to do? How do you honor people? Not even just in this room, but imagine if you went into into your work and you were known as the most patient or the most kind or the most encouraging person. You know, like, I get it. Like, work can be annoying. Like, I work in a church. We know each other all the time. And we, like, you have to learn just to, to call out what you see. And instead of having a room, you know, full of people who just want to show contempt, be the person who wants to show joy. Be the person who wants to be encouraging. Be the person who calls out value over people. I think in a world where we live to want to be recognized and where you can be recognized all the time, you can put something on Instagram to, to make it feel like you're like really positive or really happy or you can put a TikTok up and be really funny or whatever your thing is to feel recognized. But actually we live in a world that is more lonely and segregated than what it has ever been, ever. I read a story a couple of months ago of a girl who she had like millions of followers over all of her platforms and she did like a meet and greet thing and uh, she asked all of her followers to come and meet her. She's like, this is going to be amazing. Like I'm going to be like inundated with people. Do you know how many people showed up? No one. No one showed up. We live in a world that is constantly wanting to be recognized, but no one is recognizing them. And we have the opportunity as the followers of Jesus to walk out in joy and say, I see your value. See what you offer to the world. What a beautiful thing it is to be able to call it out. Do you want to stand as we come in to to worship? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. We just want to give space to honor the glory of the king, to worship him. But we also want to give space um, to let you respond if you want to respond. Maybe you feel like Jesus is doing something in your heart. and It's okay if you feel like he's doing something very personal. I actually don't really want that to be quite outward at the minute. Maybe you're working through something. Maybe you are the person in the room who someone has said something to you and you're kind of holding on to those labels. You know, these people said I'm X, Y, and Z. But actually Jesus says that I'm this and I'm finding it hard to move over to that. I'm finding it hard to move over what Jesus says about me. We just want to give you space to respond. If you are suffering this morning, if you are in heartache, then we'd love to pray for you. If you're rejoicing, we'd love to pray for you. Because this is the body of Christ. We don't just go, we have to live life together to experience the goodness and the joys of life together. And whenever you don't come forward, whenever you don't sign up to things, whenever you don't come and serve, we miss out on who you are. 
this community misses out on the value that you bring. I'm not just saying that because we need people to serve on kids, <laughs> but I'm saying that because it's true. Like whenever you don't come and partake in community, we don't get to know you. And so therefore we can't walk life with you. And I don't say that as we the staff, I say that as we the church, we the church that that binds us all together in the Holy Spirit. We want to suffer with you, we want to have joy with you, that each of us is a part of it. If you are a part of our prayer team, I'd love for you to come up to the front. Um, Because if you're going to come up and receive prayer, I want you to know that you're going to be received by someone. So if that's you, you can move now. If you feel like you want to pray for people, then please do come forward to do that. Um, We are going to worship together and... Um, as I was preparing this talk, I I just had a real, real burden sense for people who are really, really struggling to walk out in what Jesus says that they are. I'm thinking of people who are maybe just really lonely, and your loneliness is causing you to have a deep, deep sadness. It's actually not allowing you to live your everyday life that kind of sadness that kind of loneliness we'd love to pray for you I know that that's a really personal thing so if you feel like you don't want to walk up to the front that's all right but I'd love to pray with you I'd love to hear from you this community would love to be there for you we get the opportunity you know you only you only a real one chance of doing this And I want to be able to say in 10 years' time that we created one of the most beautiful communities in Lisbon that we've ever seen. Someone walked in here and they thought, you know what, the whole world has told me that I'm a loser, that I have nothing to offer. So I became addicted to stuff because I needed to find my worth in things. Imagine if people came in here and they find freedom and they find life and they find joy, that walking in the fullness of Christ changes your life. We have the opportunity here, not just to show up on a Sunday and to say hi to the people that you kind of know. We have the opportunity to create a beautiful community that says, you are valued here, you are considered here, and you are a part of this family. How beautiful would that be? We're going to worship now. I'm going to stop talking because I could talk all day. Um, Yeah, Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. We give you full permission and freedom to come and speak to us. Father, we say that you are welcome here. Would you come and minister to our hearts? Would you come and minister to the family, Father? Would you come and minister to those who feel like they're suffering? Would you minister to those who feel like they're in joy? And Father, as we worship together, as we are binded together by the work of the Spirit, that we would be reminded that this family is the family that we get to be a part of. This family is the family that we get to take a, be a part of, to be the body of Christ. Father, I pray that as we worship and as we think about what it means to be this family, that you would actually download visions into people's minds, stuff that we need to be doing, that the work of the church would be one that is positive, would be one that is not contemptuous, that be one that is found to be healing and welcoming and just a wonderful sense of, you know who you are? You are considered here in my family. You are considered here in my family. So come, Holy Spirit, come and work, come and minister within us. Make us excited for your kingdom, that your kingdom would come and that we get to be a part of that. Come, Holy Spirit. If we can pray for you as we worship, please do come to the front. We would love the opportunity to do that.